In a world full of lies and deception, it takes courage to speak truth. In a nation half-bent on its own destruction, it takes honor to seek a return to glory. Join us in Cutting Through the Lies and Propaganda. It's time for Cutting Through the Chaos on the America Out Loud Network. Here is your host, Wallace Garneau. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this brand new show on the America Out Loud Network, Episode 1 of Cutting Through the Chaos. I'm Wallace Garneau, your host. Why do we call it Cutting Through the Chaos? Because I believe that we are in an information war with the political and media elites, and I want to cut through that. I want to cut through the bullshit, I want to cut through the propaganda, I want to cut through the fog, and I want to give you the out loud truth. Now, when I say truth, understand everything that I say on this show is going to be factually accurate. I'll be able to back all of it up. If you want to see me back something up, all you have to do is throw an email out to the network or put in a comment if you're watching this on podcast on the podcast uh, page, and, and I'm happy to do it. I will give you well, the documentation. Everything I say, I'm going to be able to document. If I do say something that is subjective in nature or something that is perhaps a little bit conspiratorial in nature, I will say so. You'll, you'll hear me say it. If I say, you know, this may be a conspiracy, but that means that I'm saying something that may not be, it may be a conspiracy. It may not be, you know, it could or could not be, be factually true. It's a conspiracy. If I say, you know, this is something subjective, but then same thing. I am telling you something objective. If I don't say that before I say something, then it's subjectively true, and I will have the ability to back it up if challenged. Now, the first thing I want to talk about today is uh, two graphs that are getting passed around Facebook, have been for a long time. They get passed around to the mainstream media. Uh, socialists love these graphs. And uh, as a matter of fact, I just had a debate earlier today with a young socialist, and I was able to prove to him that he was wrong by challenging him on these graphs and explaining him to him what he was seeing and, and showing him other graphs that may be harder to find, but you can find them if you look. And I'll tell you what those are too. Now, the first graph that this young socialist used was a graph that shows, and you've probably seen this many times. I'm sure everybody here has seen it many times. It was a graph that showed the rise in productivity against the rise in wages. And uh, if you've seen it, you've noticed. If you haven't seen it, I'll tell you what it looks like. Uh, they track very, very closely until you get up somewhere in the early mid-80s. And then all of a sudden, incomes just become a flat line. You know, like, like the patient died at some point in the 80s, and, and for whatever reason, income's just flatlined where his productivity continued to rise. Uh, that's a terrible graph. It's pure propaganda. Both lines, incidentally, are actually somewhat accurate, but they're measuring different things. One is measuring the difference between productivity and income uh, in terms of the amount of things people make over time, and the other is measuring it in dollars. Now, you would think that that's okay because at the beginning part of the graph, they tracked very, very closely. But of course, Nixon took us off the gold standard in the 1970s, and that did not immediately cause the value of the dollar uh, to stop rising with the value of gold. The value of gold, incident, gold, incidentally, rises very, very closely with the overall size of the economy, which is why it's such a great thing to to back a currency with but we were taken off the gold standard at some point shortly thereafter call it 10 years 
all of a sudden we started seeing rates of inflation that the country had never seen before. And uh, at that point, you know, that's when the lines diverged. Uh, that graph is measuring, you know, if, if, you, if you build that graph, and if you Google for this, you'll be able to find copies of it, where you measure productivity and income, both in the same thing, be that in dollars or be that units produced. When you measure it in dollars, by the way, productivity in dollars, that's the value of goods and services people produce over time. Uh, if you measure it in both things in units, then what you're measuring is uh, on one graph, the number of things people produce over time. And then on the other graph, you would measure the number of things people can buy with their pay over over time. So for example, uh, if early in the graph, I can buy a refrigerator, but it takes me 30 hours of work. And at the end of the period, I can buy a refrigerator. It takes me three hours of work. You would say that my income relative to the refrigerator has, has grown exponentially. I can buy far more refrigerators uh, in less time. So you know, if you measure both things, productivity and incomes, in either measurement, and you use the same measurement for both, they continue to track very, very closely. Individual incomes track very, very closely with productivity, always have, always will. Uh, I can change that a little bit if I measure household incomes rather than individual incomes, because households have changed a great deal over time. And that's why, by the way, household incomes are often used as a measurement. You'll see you, you see that usually when you see income measured over time, they're using household incomes. Uh, and that too is propaganda because, you know, used to be you had more working people in a household than you do today. You know, you have a lot more divorces, for example. Older people are staying independent longer after they're retired. So used to be it was common to have three working adults within the same household. Now often you only have one. Of course, that's going to have an impact on household incomes. Uh, so that's propaganda too. But this one, the graph showing productivity and income, that's propaganda purely because you're, you're, you're measuring those two things with very, very different measurements. And if you measure them the same way, then that difference goes away. Uh, the other graph that uh, this young socialist was showing was the proportion of income earned by poor, middle-income, and rich Americans. So if you look at all of the income in all of the upper class households, here's how much how, how much money they how much wealth they have as a percentage of the whole. If you look at middle class Americans, here's much how much income they have as a percent of the whole. And if you look at poor Americans, lower income Americans, here's the amount of income as a proportion of the whole that they have. And it, if, if you track those things over time, it turns out uh, that poor Americans make about the same percentage of total income over time is to be earlier in the period as they do at the end of the period. Whereas if you look at the percentage of income that go to rich families, that's gone up over time. And the percentage of income going to middle American, middle class Americans, that's gone down over time. And that too is a very, very accurate graph. It's, it's absolutely true that the percentage of total income going to the rich has grown at the expense of the percent of total income going to the middle class problem with that graph is that it assumes that the percentage of Americans who are in those different groups has not changed. Well, it turns out that if you look at a graph showing the percentage of Americans that are in the upper class versus the percentage of Americans that are in the middle class versus the percentage of Americans in the lower class, over time, you get the same basic graph. It just it inverts it, basically. It totally explains why it is that upper class families are getting a higher percentage of the total income. 
And the reason is that more Americans are in the upper class as a percent of the total than were before. In other words, the middle class is shrinking, but it's shrinking because more and more of the middle class is becoming upper class. The poor, you know, that's been flatlined, but that's not because, well, their incomes aren't rising. It's because they're on welfare. By definition, being on welfare, their incomes are not going to rise the way the incomes of working class Americans do. The ironic thing there is that the poverty level was dropping right up until we created the war on poverty, at which point the poverty line stopped growing or stopped dropping. And of course it stopped dropping. If you solve poverty with dependency, then whatever line you, 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 you know, of course it stops dropping. You can't solve poverty with dependency. When we look at the poverty level, we don't even take welfare into account. So you could give everybody who's under the poverty line a million dollars a day, and they'd be rich. But according to our official poverty statistics, they would still be in poverty. So the, the, the idea that you're going to solve poverty with, with dependency was, it was absurd when LBJ came up with it. It's, it's, it's absurd today. You can't solve poverty with dependency. The reason being that once people are dependent, they don't have any opportunity to grow their income without first having the dependency removed. Whether they remove it themselves or whether the government gets rid of it, either way, they have no means of bettering their lives while they're in dependency uh, because that's that's the rules we put in place for welfare. You work, you lose it. So, you know, it's the, the idea that, that you know, poor people can't get rich because uh, they have to work to do that and the whole purpose of the war on poverty seems to be to keep people in poverty and, and to make as many people dependent on government as possible so that they will then vote for more of it. That was the real purpose of the war on poverty. Uh, Milton Friedman, incidentally, called it the war on black people because most of the most impoverished at the time uh, were African Americans. So uh, Milton Friedman, I thought, had a better name for it at the time in the 1960s than the government did. But be that as it may, that's a very, very misleading graph because the concept of more Americans getting wealthier, we should be happy about that. And as far as taking people off of dependency and, and putting them back in the workforce, according to the Brookings Institute, which leans left, if you do three things, you will rise into the middle class even if you don't want to. Very hard to stay poor if you do three things. Those three things are don't have children out of wedlock, graduate high school, and have consistent employment. Now, I'm sorry, that's not a very high bar. You know, people talk about, well, it's hard to find jobs. Well, only when we price people out of the workforce with a high minimum wage. Yes, if we price people out of the workforce with a high minimum wage, we can make it so it's difficult to find a job. You know, if you take the ladder and chop off all the lower rungs, yeah, you, all of a sudden you've got to be very, very tall or, or able to jump to get the first rung. And that's what a high minimum wage does. It takes all the rungs off the ladder until you get to a certain level and it artificially makes it very difficult for people to find jobs. If you eliminate the minimum wage, you know, if, if, if there were no minimum wage at all, and there truly were a shortage of jobs, I might hire somebody to clean my house. I don't make enough money right now to be able to hire a, somebody to clean my house, to hire a maid, but if you lower incomes enough, I'd be able to afford it, and by God, I'd probably do it. So. The idea that there are always going to be people priced out of the workforce is absurd. There will always be enough jobs for people. It's just a question of how much those jobs will pay. And we see how little a minimum wage is needed right now, where the federal minimum wage is $7 and I think 25 cents an hour. 
Now, when I was a kid, it was $3.35, and I actually did, for a period of time in my life, have to support myself on that. Uh, you may or may not know this. My parents threw me out when I was 17 years old, and I had to survive uh, as a fast food worker at McDonald's making three thirty-five an hour. Very, very difficult. Uh, probably one of the reasons I joined the Marine Corps. But uh, point is, I got through it, and so can you know. Even even if that's what somebody has to do early in life, you can get through it if you do the three things the Brookings Institute says: hold a job consistently, don't have kids out of wedlock, and uh, graduate high school. So that's it. That's all they have to do. Uh, so as I had this conversation with this young socialist, eventually I showed him the graphs that are legitimate, where you measure those things uh, the right way. You measure productivity and you measure income using the same measurement, whether you're using dollars, whether you're using the amount produced. I just showed him graphs that use the same measurement for both. And all of a sudden I could show him both. All of a sudden those differences went away. Uh, the other graph, you know, he wanted to just talk about the percentage of the total income going to different economic groups. I showed him the size of those economic groups over time, and eventually I was able to show him. You know, I actually told this kid, I said, you do realize the reason why the graphs you're using are so prominent in our society today? And he said, yeah, because they're accurate. And I said, well, you know, technically they are if, if, if you don't understand the context. But the reason why those graphs are used so frequently out of context is because our elite are trying to lie to us. Those are the graphs they want you to see. They don't want to show you the honest graphs because the honest graphs would tell you that free markets work brilliantly, that we don't need more government regulation, we need less, and, and, and what have you. They would show you that the government is not our friends and that we do not want the government to grow. We actually want the government to shrink. In a perfect society, government would do just a handful of things and uh, would stay out of, you know, there's a misconception about what a free market even is. People talk about an economy as if an economy has a purpose. Well, the economy does have a purpose if you have a totalitarian state. Uh, under Farah, for example, the purpose of the economy was largely to build pyramids. Well, you can't eat pyramids, so I don't know that that is something that the people would want. Certainly, it was something Farah wanted. In a communist country, my wife grew up in communist Poland, and the first time I went to Warsaw, they have this cultural palace, that just this giant, giant building of, of concrete, Kind of ugly, but you know there it is. It's still still there. It's probably be there forever because the cost of tearing it down is prohibitively high. But uh, they actually built that after World War II before they rebuilt anything else in Poland. So if you see pictures of the cultural palace in Warsaw uh, after the war, but pictures when it first came out, it was it was finished in the fifties. And if you see photos of it that are, are, are backaways where they show you the landscape around it, the landscape around it still raised to the ground when it was opened. So that, that kind of tells you what the Communist Party uh, thought was important. And the reason it was important to build this cultural palace rather than rebuilding the city around it was that it costs a lot less to build a monument than it does to feed and clothe the people. So in a communist country, just like Pharaoh, you build the pyramid and look at the greatness of our of our empire. We have this giant pyramid. We must be great if we could build that. So too, under Soviet rule, the Polish government, the Soviet government, and the Polish government reported to, they could tell the people, of course we're a great power. Look at this cultural palace we've built. Would a country that is not great be able to build that? Well, the answer in truth is, yeah, a country that is not great not only would be able to build that, but they would build that specifically so they can point at that and say, hey, we're great. We built this. 
You may be starving. You may be cold. But who but a great country like us would be able to build such a wondrous monument? Well, if they didn't build the monument, they still wouldn't be able to feed and clothe their people because the monument is far cheaper than feeding and clothing people. That's, that's, that's how so communism works. That's, that's why communists always have to have these giant monuments. It's, it's just, it's asinine, but that's how it is. Whereas in a free market, now a free market is simply a country where the people are left alone to do as they want. What people tend to do is look out for their self-interest. So I'll try to find somebody who will employ me to, to do something not only that I can do, but ideally something that I like to do and something that I'm good at. And then I get paid to do that thing. And the government is supposed to have a currency, the dollar, so that I can be paid an agreed upon unit to store that value. And then I can go to stores and I can spend that value, the value that I produced for my employer, and, and I can buy the things that I want. If I can seek, if I can get enough dollars from other people, if I can convince people I've got a great idea, maybe I've got a new way to store music called an iPod, whatever it is, I've got some new idea. If, if I can convince people that if they give me money, they will make money in return, that what I do will be profitable, it's really not that hard to find financing in the United States, even today with all of our overregulation, and to start a business. So in a free market, there are no barriers to you finding a job, getting employed, having somebody pay you to do something of value. Uh, there, there are no barriers to you opening a business other than your ability to either have or get capital. Well, when you start changing that, that's when you start moving from a free market to something else. So for example, if I were to say, I will allow private ownership of the means of production, I will allow you to own a business, but I'm going to control it. I'm going to give you quotas. You're going to produce the things I say in the quantities I say. And if you want to produce a little bit above that, that's up to you. But you are going to, I have control over your business because I am the government and you do what I tell you to. If that's how you run it, you're allowed to make a profit, which incentivizes you to, to be good at running the business. It incentivizes you to be efficient. If that's how I run the economy, central planning, but with private legal ownership, I would say if you don't control a business, you don't really own it. But anyway, if that's how I run the country, where I have an economy that has central planning, but private ownership, uh, that's fascism. That is actually the textbook definition of what Giovanni Gentile, the guy who invented fascism, that's what he called fascism. In a free market, the government neither controls businesses nor controls them. The means of production are in private hands. You own your labor, and the business owns the business. You are free to trade your labor for money. You're free to open a business. You can do whatever you want, so can everybody else, as long as you don't infringe upon the rights of other people. That's a free market. In communism or a socialism of any kind, the means of production are both owned and controlled by the government. So there is no private property in a true socialist system. Uh, there are obviously these are these are extremes. You don't have to go. You know, there's no such thing as a pure free market, because in a pure free market, you know, you might buy a gallon of gas. It's only half a gallon. You do need some regulation, which is why the government has the power in the constitution to provide uh, to provide uh, means of measurement. 
So they can enforce that if you sell a gallon of gas, it must be a gallon. It, you prevent people from ripping people off by doing this. You, you, you make, there are things government can do basically that, that make a free market more efficient. And the, the Constitution of the United States was expertly written to allow the government to do those things while preventing it from doing anything else. Uh, that was the beauty of the Constitution, would be the beauty of the Constitution today if we simply followed it. But of course, we don't. So there's that. But anyway, that's 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 how that works, and, and that's what I was trying to convince this young socialist. And by explaining to him the context of the graphs he was using and how they're used as a means of propaganda, and then showing him similar graphs that provide context to the graphs he was using, and, and then explaining to him the nature of the different economic systems and showing him the whole purpose of socialism isn't to feed the people. The people are capable of doing that themselves. The purpose of socialism is purely to control them. By showing him this and showing him that he's the victim of propaganda, not a bad person, an uninformed person, a misinformed person. As Milton Friedman once said, it ain't what you know, it's what you know that ain't so. I believe it's actually Mark Twain who said that originally. Milton Friedman is who I heard it from. He was quoting Mark Twain. But anyway, that's how you defeat socialists. And more importantly, that's how you defeat those, those two graphs that you are going to see again and again and again on social media and in the media. Next thing I want to talk about is illegal immigration. We'll probably get about halfway through this, and then we'll take a break for our sponsors. But I want to talk about illegal immigration. And uh, the first thing is I'm not against immigration. I'm not even against unlimited immigration. Uh, going back to Milton Friedman, I love economics. So going back to Milton Friedman, if a country, a country can do one of two things and get away with it. It can either have open borders and allow people to come and go as they please, allow whatever number of people want to move to the country to do so, or it can have a welfare system, but it cannot have both. And the reason it cannot have both is because if you have open borders and you have a welfare state, people are going to enter your country, not for opportunity, but for welfare. That's what we're seeing today. Obviously, some people are, are, are entering the country for opportunity even today, uh, but many of the people that are entering our country are doing so because we promised to take care of them. The whole point of a sanctuary state or a sanctuary city is to say, come hither, we will give you food, we will give you clothing, we will give you everything, and we won't allow the federal government to enforce the law and remove you. So when the mayor of New York said that he wants New York to be a sanctuary city, what he was doing is he was saying, come on in, guys. It's good here. We're going to take care of you. Well, now we hear the mayor of New York saying other things because when Biden became president and opened the borders, I want to be very, very clear on this. The Biden administration's official stance is that they did not cause a border crisis. They inherited a border crisis. The truth is, and I'm sure they actually have metrics. They could probably, getting back to my first point, they probably even have metrics they could use to make it look like that might be true. But the actual truth, the unfiltered truth, the America out loud truth, is that the border was virtually closed when Joe Biden took office. The rates of illegal immigration were not only the lowest they've been on record since we began measuring that, they're actually negative. 
which means that there were more illegal immigrants leaving the country than there were entering the country. So there still were people entering the country illegally, just not very many. And there were more people leaving the country. I can't say leaving the country illegally, because if you're here illegally, I suppose leaving is the right thing to do. Um, but the rates of, of illegal immigrants that were leaving was actually higher than the rate of illegal immigrants that were coming in. So that's what Joe Biden inherited. Uh, he also inherited, of course, kids in cages. But that was true under Obama, actually in larger numbers under Obama than it was under Trump. And it's also true under Joe Biden. And under Joe Biden, there are more kids in cages than there were under Obama and Trump combined. Because as the level of illegal immigration has exploded, so too has the level of kids in cages. The true story of kids in cages, by the way, and it's important that people know this because the media is not going to tell you. The true purpose of kids in cages is that uh, the Mexican cartels have figured out that under first under Obama and, and now under Joe Biden, that if you enter the country illegally with your children, they just the border agents just let you go. Under Biden, it's actually worse than that. Under Biden, they pretty much let you go even if you don't have kids. They just give you a date and you know, come back in, hopefully, for a hearing and, and off with you. Uh, but it's even easier to get in if you have children than if you don't because they don't want to break up the families. And they can't, of course, put the children in with the parents when they detain them. They have to separate them. So hence, you know, kids removed from their parents in cages. Well, the reason that they began doing that, putting the kids separating the kids from their parents is that what they found is that in many cases, the children illegal immigrants were entering the country with were not their children. The cartels were actually kidnapping children from all over South America. And then if you wanted to enter the country illegally, you could rent them. I hate, you say, I hate saying rent a kid, but that's essentially what they were. It was, it was a rental market where you could rent children. And so you would, you would rent children, you would enter the country with these children, you would be released into the country because you had children and they didn't want to separate families, and then you would give the children back to somebody in the cartel in the United States, they would smuggle the kids back into Mexico and then rent them out to somebody else. These kids were being funneled back and forth across the border over and over and over again to be rented out by the cartels. Which, you know, it's horrendous. You want to talk about human trafficking, there you go. The, the, the abuse these kids were taking was absolutely horrendous as well because they weren't with their parents. They weren't with people that cared about them. They were with people that were either either renting them out or, or, or renting them. They were rented kids. And uh, they found out that was happening because border agents began to see the same. You can't send the same kids over and over and over and over again without somebody at some point noticing. So border agents began to say, we're seeing the same kids over and over and over again. Uh, that's a problem. And we need to do something about this. And that is when we began to separate the parents and children and hold them separately and, uh, and, and verify before we could release them into the population, we had to verify that not only are these children, but they are actually the children of the parents that they're with. Biden stopped doing that. He stopped He stopped checking. So now we're right back to if you've got children, we just release you into the interior of the country. And yet, in spite of that, illegal immigration is so high that we have children that are crossing without parents, without adults of any kind, 
that are being, we have to do something with them. So if they're detained, they have to be detained. And, and hence we have, you know, kids in cages. It's, 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 it's an unfortunate side effect of having laws is that if children violate the law, you have to, in some cases, incarcerate them. Now, that's not just at the border either. If you're a 12-year-old and you commit murder, you're going to go to a, if, if you're tried as a child, you might be tried as an adult. If you're tried as a child, you're still going to go to the juvenile detention until you're 18. Now, I don't know exactly how that works. If somebody's in law enforcement, let us know. Uh, it might be 21. I don't know exactly how that works. But the point is, children who break the law get detained. Entering the country illegally is against the law. Thus, if you enter the country illegally, there is a chance you may get detained. That's the true story there. Now, we'll give our sponsors a moment, and uh, when we come back, I want to talk more about illegal immigration, not the levels of immigration under Trump and Obama and kids in cages and human trafficking and that sort of thing. I want to talk about the current levels of illegal immigration and what that means for the future of our country. And then after I do that, I want to talk about a couple of books I've read, not books that I've written. Uh, I've also written a book. I've got another book that I'm currently working on, uh, but I'm not going to talk about my book. I'm going to talk about other books that I've recently read that uh, I think really illustrate just how bad the level of corruption in our country is. And we'll get to that on the other side of the break. In the meantime, quick word from our sponsors. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's foreign protein cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. 
Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Expert opinions, honest debate, and in-depth investigations are what you've come to expect from AmericaOutloud.news. We don't shy away from speaking the truth boldly and plainly. All that's missing is the propaganda that has infected legacy and social media. Get the best of down and dirty, wholesome American speak. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm Wallace Garneau, your host, and together you and I will be cutting through the fog of war. Uh, Let's get right back to illegal immigration. Not about the difference in levels between Trump and uh, and Biden or between Obama and Trump, uh, but about the levels of illegal immigration today. Just a quick reminder, uh, we actually had a negative rate of illegal immigration when Joe Biden took office. And for those who may have just joined the show, it may not sound possible to have a negative rate of illegal immigration, but actually is. That just means that there are more illegal immigrants leaving the country than coming in. So we always have some level of illegal immigration. There are always people entering the country, but there are also always people leaving the country who may be here illegally. And uh, when Trump left office, when Biden took office, there are actually more people entering, there are more people leaving the country who are here illegally than they were entering the country illegally. And so we had a negative rate of illegal immigration. Uh, Under Biden... That number has skyrocketed, and in fact, in December of 2023, uh, we finished out the year with the highest level of illegal immigration ever recorded. Now, there were over 300,000 apprehensions at the border. We don't know how many people came into the country illegally, uh, but the experts, the border guards, they say that about one in every 10 is what they catch. So we had over 300,000 that they caught, which is the highest number ever recorded. That means that we had about 3 million that made it in in the month of December alone. 3 million new illegal immigrants. How many is that? That's about a little under 1% of the, of the, of the population. Uh, 12 months a year, if we assume that that rate continues for a year. So, for example, from now to the end of Joe Biden's first term, that would be about 10% of the U.S. population. What does that mean? That means that the growth in the, un- in, the, in, the, in the illegal immigrants, the number of illegal immigrants, people in the country illegally, will have gone up by 10%. So right now we're around 10%. Uh, we could be at 20% by the end of Joe Biden's first term. And if Joe Biden is reelected and that rate of illegal immigration continues, by the end of Joe Biden's second term in office, we will very easily be at a point where more than half of the U.S. population will be in the country illegally. So for every American citizen and every legal 
immigrant, there will be at least one and probably more than one person in the country illegally by the end of Joe Biden's second term, assuming that he has one. That that doesn't scare you nothing, Will, because uh, these are people that have not absorbed the U.S. culture. Uh, They're probably not aware of our traditions and values to the U.S. Constitution, uh, the laws in the United States, how things work, how we elect our representatives, what the representatives are supposed to do. No, they don't know American civics. If you have to learn American civics, ironically, I think better than most Americans know them, in order to be able to immigrate to the country, become a citizen in the country as an immigrant. Uh, you don't have to know anything about American civics to be in the country illegally. And by the way, just for the record, I am not against immigration at all. As I said, Milton Friedman said it's okay to have open borders as long as you don't have a welfare state. If people are coming into the country for the opportunity to better their lives because they want to work, they want to be able to provide for their families better than they can in their home country, I say let them in. I don't care if they're from Mexico. I don't care if they're from Argentina. I don't care if they're from Somalia. I don't care if they're from the Caribbean. I don't care if they're from the Middle East, the Far East. I don't care where they're from. If your goal in coming to the United States is to seek opportunity and have a better life, come on in. I'm all for it. The problem is that we have a welfare state and many of the people coming in, I would say most of the people coming in, are coming in for welfare, just as Milton Friedman said would happen if you have open borders and a welfare state. And ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to imagine living in a country where those who are working, who are already less than half of the people that are able to work, where those who are working have to support more than half of the U.S. population that is here illegally, as well as having to support those who are on welfare. I mean, just, just, just imagine that for a moment. How much money would you have to make to have the standard of living you have today while also paying for other families to have a standard of living that they can call comfortable? We can't have a society where 30%, 40% of the population, 25% of the population have to pay everybody's bills. You can't have that kind of a society. It, it's impossible for anybody to live in any modicum of comfort. If, 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 you know, what we're doing is we're building a country where I guess they expect everybody to live off of the efforts of everybody else. You know, that's, that's, if that doesn't sound asinine to you, I think the way Winston Churchill described it is, stand in a bucket and then lift it by its handle. It doesn't work. It's, it's, it's physically impossible to have a country where the majority of people are living off of the efforts of other people. Even in a family, you've got working parents that are taking care of their kids, but the, you know, if, if you don't have kids, you have more wealth. Kids are expensive. So imagine not only having to take care of your children, but having to take care of your neighbor and his children, and another neighbor and their children, and in other neighbors and their children. How many families can you afford to take care of? Now, the Democrats, of course, will say, well, we're just going to tax the rich. Well, how much money do the rich have? Yes, a higher percentage of Americans are rich today than were in the past. But let's keep bringing 3 million people across our border every month and see how long that continues. Let's keep taxing people that make money as much as we possibly can to fund all of the people that don't make a dime. Let's see how well that works. Let's see how long we can have a functioning society when we are bringing in 30 million people a year. 
illegally. Sorry, folks, you can't do it. We have to have borders. Those borders have to be enforced. And we can debate whether or not walls work. Obviously, something under Trump was working because before Biden, we had negative rates of illegal immigration. And now, you know, they can't even give us a chart anymore because the numbers are so high, it's off the top of the charts. Three million people in one month. Never happened before. Uh, but if we don't change leadership, it's probably going to happen again and again and again. The other thing we have to ask ourselves is at what point citizenship even matters. We're already at a point where our veterans are having to wait longer than they used to have to wait, which was a long time, to see to get health care from the VA health care system. Now they have to wait longer because the veterans are no longer the, the, the primary people or the, the people that the, the VA health care system is primarily there for. Under Joe Biden, the people who come first in line are illegal immigrants. They get free health care from the VA, just as our veterans do, but they get it first. So our veterans have to wait longer so that illegal immigrants can get health care first. That, by the way, as, as a Marine, pisses me off to no end. Uh, I hope it does you as well. That's, that, yet that's what's happening. Uh, not only that, but if you're an illegal immigrant, you get to go to college for free. Now, who pays for them to go to college for free? Not just citizens, but legal immigrants. So what we're saying is, if you come into the country legally, you have to support yourself. You're not allowed to be a ward of the state. You have to pay for yourself to go to college. You have to pay for illegal immigrants to live. You have to pay all of their bills, food, housing, clothing, entertainment. They have to have an Xbox or a PlayStation. They have to have air conditioning. And you, you have to pay for their college. You have to pay for them and yourself. So, you know, what we're essentially doing is, is we're, we're incentivizing even people who should be entering the country legally to do so illegally so that they can take advantage of the system and get the free health care, get the free food, get the free, med the, the free college education for their kids. We're saying, you know, come on in illegally and we'll take care of it. But if you come in legally, we're going to tax the, the hell out of you and we're, we're going to make you pay, along with American citizens, for all the things that were given the people who came in illegally. So there's a limit to how much we can even afford, not to mention the cultural damage that we're doing, the damage that we're doing in terms of civics. Another question nobody's asking, but I want to ask you, what percentage of the U.S. population has to be here illegally before it is no longer justifiable to only allow citizens to vote? I ask that as a real question because if Joe Biden gets a second term, there's currently absolutely no reason to think that we're not going to be excluding more than half of the people in the country that are old enough to vote. More than half. When the majority of the country are in illegally, then at some point you just have to... I don't know. I, I would say don't let them vote, but the political pressure to allow more than a half of eligible voters, otherwise eligible voters, to vote, is it's it just going to grow as more and more come in. And not just that, but in many states, they're already voting. They're allowed to vote in local elections. And when you go to California and you show up and say, I can only vote in local elections, they're not going to give you a ballot that only has local elections on it. They're going to give you a ballot that has everything on it. And of course, it's a secret ballot system. So when they give you a ballot that has everything on it, if you fill out the entire ballot, nobody's going to know. 
So in many states, these people are already voting. Now imagine more than half the U.S. population being wards of the state. They get free everything they want, that are told they're entitled to it, that are allowed to vote. What do you think they're going to vote for? They're going to vote for more. They're going to vote for more entitlements. They're going to vote for more free stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to know how Venezuela collapsed, you vote for Joe Biden in 2024, you've got a front row seat because it's going to happen to us. I think we're going to have a recession next year. I think it's going to be a very significant recession. I've said that on other shows. Might as well say it on, on this show. We're going to see something far worse than that if Joe Biden is reelected and continues the border policies that he has been using. We're going to see a complete collapse of our economic. We're going to see a collapse of our country. It's just simply going to come apart, just as Venezuela did, and we'll be eating our pets. We'll be eating zoo animals. The government will be telling us, you know, raise rabbits. You know, the, the things that are happening in Venezuela that we're not told about would blow your mind if you knew. Ladies and gentlemen, it's coming to a theater near you if we reelect Joe Biden. Um, which gets us into my next topic, which are these two books that I've read. The first one is Mafia Democracy by a guy named Michael Franzese. Now, Michael Franzese was a mobster. Uh, he had a gas scam. He was one of the richest mobsters in terms of the amount of money that he made. Incredibly rich, one of the richest mobsters ever. Uh, his father, uh, John Sonny Franzese, uh, was an absolute legend in, in the mafia. He was uh, in the He lived to be 104. And uh, he was the, an underboss of the Colombo crime family. Uh, the FBI, some of the estimates are that he's killed as many as 500 people, that he's responsible at least for the deaths of as many as 500 people. The last time he was incarcerated was in his 90s. The guy's just an absolute, I'm not in favor of the mafia either today as Michael Franzese, but he's an absolute legend in terms of, of, of all-time mobsters. Uh, this book by Michael Franzese, his son, is all about how when our government destroyed the mafia, and the mafia still exists, but it's a shadow of what it was in terms of power and what have you. So when our government destroyed the mafia, the mafia didn't really go away. It was really more like the government became the mafia. That's the present, the, that's, that's the, the basic premise of his book, that the mafia, the government today, rather, has all of the same kind of scams that the mafia was doing when Michael Francese was in. And uh, the other book, Secret Empires by Michael Schweizer, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I don't. Schweizer is, is, is it looks like Schweizer, so I'm going to go with, with Peter Schweizer. Uh, that book is about all of the corrupt things that people in government do, uh, primary or elected officials, to enrich themselves. He talks about what presidents have done, focusing primarily on modern presidents. Uh, he talks about Joe Biden. He talks about Barack Obama. He doesn't talk much about the Clintons, but he's got another book called Clinton Cash, which is dedicated to them. He wrote the book while Trump was in was was running for office, and uh, it was an editorial stage when Trump was uh, in Trump's first year. It was it was then released. The book was released, I think, in 20, 2018. So uh, the the book was obviously written before Trump was in office, or or parts of it may have been written when he was just in office. Point is that the part on Trump is purely speculative. Uh, he does say that Trump's going to do the exact same things that everybody else was doing, probably worse because he's Donald Trump. This is not a pro-Trump book. I haven't actually read the Trump section yet, uh, but that's what it appears it is going to say. So I'm guessing that's what it's going to say. But it was also written before Trump was in office. And what we see with Trump in office that we did not see with, with Obama, we, we certainly didn't see it with, uh, with, with, with Biden, 
when Trump was in office, his family actually lost money. Uh, his daughter had uh, a burgeoning growing business with uh, fashion products and, and cosmetics, and I think she had perfumes, and that was going like gangbusters. I think they actually had to close that down or rebrand it because uh, the, the Trump name just it doesn't sell like it used to. Uh, sells in conservative circles, but I mean, you know, we know what the left thinks about Trump. Uh, and so Trump actually lost money. His net worth went down significantly while he was in office, which when you look at what other people have done while in office, it's absolutely astounding. And between these two books, Mafia, Democracy by Michael Franzese and Secret Empires by Peter Schweizer, I think you get a pretty good picture for just how it works. One of Obama's favorite tricks, by the way, was the smash and grab. Uh, the way that the smash and grab works is that the, the president of the United States or, or somebody with a lot of regulatory authority will utilize the regulatory authority to absolutely obliterate an industry or a company. Uh, I don't know if, if, if what happened to Gibson Guitars was a smash and grab. I'd have to look and see the ownership to see if it changed. But in terms of smash, it's a great example. The Obama administration uh, criminally pursued the Gibson Guitar Company for the rosewood that they were making the necks out of, seeing if they were illegally sourcing it. And uh, I'd have imagined that the stock market, the company's stock price had to just get crushed by that. Well, I don't know if the grab part happened with Gibson. It's happened with other companies. Uh, it happened with some pay college, some, some for-pay college, for-profit college. Uh, what you do is use your regular authority to crush the company and, and drive it down to near bankruptcy. And then you have your friends and family come in and buy it at ridiculously low prices. And then once your family and friends own it, you remove those regulatory burdens and the stock market, you know, the stock price rebounds. And that was one of Obama's favorite tactics. Uh, Biden's using it as well. And uh, just absolutely criminal, corrupt stuff. Well, the other thing that they're doing, and Hunter Biden is but an example of this, is they're taking bribes through their children and increasingly doing it overseas. In the old days, most of those bribes going to children were ha were happening in the United States uh, because children income is a present. You have to you have to disclose your income. You have to disclose your wife's income and the sources thereof. You don't have to disclose your kids, uh, but they do. Separates you from it. Your fingerprints aren't on it, but your children's their their fingerprints are. But if your children are making that money overseas they don't have to disclose it. So what you're free to do if you're Joe Biden, and Joe Biden with Hunter Biden is doing this, I'd have to imagine he's still doing it, certainly was as vice president. What, he, what is happening is Joe Biden is selling out our country to our enemies, to China, to Russia, uh, to Ukraine, Ukraine maybe not an enemy right now, but to, to Estonia, to, to different countries, selling us out, to Iran, selling us out, selling us right down the river committing what I would call treason. And they're paying his son the bribes on that. And uh, for Burisma, for example, uh, Peter Schweizer estimates that the Bidens would probably have billions of dollars in offshore accounts in, in, uh, in places like, uh, like Cyprus, where very, very strict secrecy rules. Nobody knows what kind of money they're holding. Uh, he estimates that they've got billions of dollars there. Looks like the Biden family may actually have more money than the Trump family, believe it or not. And... Uh, and that's how they're doing it, is Joe Biden's power is being sold through his son to foreign powers, and his son doesn't even have to disclose the money that he's making.
He doesn't even have to report it as income unless he brings it into the country. So they could have billions of dollars. Peter, Peter Schweizer thinks just from Ukraine, they have billions of dollars. From before Joe Biden was even president, they had billions of dollars. His estimation by now, they, they, I would say they got to be richer than Trump, as, as crazy as that may sound. And uh, technically, it's not illegal because Joe Biden's not doing it himself. Well, it would be illegal for him to have a, a tit-for-tat where his son gets paid. Uh, that would be illegal if you could prove the tit-for-tat part. But though you can look at the timing of these kinds of things and say, oh, isn't that interesting? Hunter Biden got this huge deal some of which we do know about, some of which is, is public information, much of which is not. But some, like Burisma, you know, we, we can see that. Uh, that's become public from his laptop, other sources. Some of it is public. And you can actually look at it and you can say, oh, isn't that interesting? Biden made this decision here, and then Hunter Biden was paid this amount here. Well, it looks like a tit-for-tat because decision is something that Ukraine wanted, and all of a sudden... Look what happens for Hunter. You know, all of a sudden here, the, the, the investigation on Burisma Holdings, we all heard we all heard what Biden said about that. Said, I told him, fire the, the prosecutor, you're not getting the money. And son of a bitch, he was fired. Then you look a couple of months later, and oh, Hunter Biden, look at that, he got a payday. But, ladies and gentlemen, this is, even if you can't prove that it's illegal, why, the, why on earth would anybody vote for somebody who's playing these kinds of games? And it's not just Biden. Obama was just as bad. Uh, there's, there's a section on it about Chicago crime, the, the Daily, Richard Daily, uh, you know, the Empire, the Daily family, and and the people that surround them. And the really interesting thing there is that Barack Obama is good friends with Richard Daly and Richard Daly's family. And uh, not only that, but everybody who was in Obama's cabinet, they were all people that were surrounding. The Daly family, the cronies just moved from Chicago to Trump. And who replaced Richard Daly as the mayor? It was Rahm Emanuel, who was a Daly loyalist and also a chief of staff of Obama. And who was Obama's? Uh, you know, one of the Daly brothers, like Bill Daly, was one of Obama's sec uh, first uh, chiefs of staff. So there was a revolving door between the corruption in Chicago, which some of it, the book is absolutely astounding. I urge you to read this book. And and the 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 corruption around the dailies, it was it's a revolving door. It's like you've got the Harbaugh brothers trading coaches. Well, the Chicago mayor and, and Obama, same thing. They were trading corrupt people. It was ladies and gentlemen, the level of corruption occurring against the American people, and these are your tax dollars we're talking about, it's off the charts. At one point, over a billion dollars, $1.8 billion that the Obama White House gave to Ukraine just vanished. And it vanished through Burisma, by the way. So, you know, the speculation Peter Schweizer has is that much of that money is sitting in an offshore account owned by Hunter Biden for use by the Biden family. And, uh, you know... Richard Daly at one point, no, I'm sorry, not Richard Daly, Mitch McConnell, Republican, and not all of the corruption that in the book is, is Democrats, a lot of Repu corrupt Republicans too. Mitch McConnell, his in-laws 
own a, an ocean shipping company with boats that are made in China by the same company that builds the Chinese Navy. His in-laws gave him a gift of between 5 and $25 million at one point. They're in bed with the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, and the Chinese military, of all things. They're in bed with it. They're actually on the board of directors of a holding company that is owned by the company that builds China's Navy and that builds their boats. Some of the boats that McConnell's in-laws have in their shipping company, they got for free. The Chinese Communist Party, through the shipping company that is owned by the Communist Party and the, and the government of China, two, by the way, are the same thing. They actually got for free, some of the ships. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, these aren't little ships. These are ships that are so big, they cannot pass through the Suez Canal. They have to go all the way around the Horn of Africa because they're so big. So these aren't little ships. Some of these they got for free. They didn't even have to pay for. Mitch McConnell, you know, he can say that, that, that he's not influenced by this, that he's not a part of this, that he's not making decisions professionally that are driven by this. But look at his position on China from the beginning of his of his of his of his tenure uh, in the Senate to where he is today. It's completely changed. He's so favorable China. Obviously, it's having an impact on him. It's corruption to the core, and it's it's insane. So please, ladies and gentlemen, we need to make ourselves aware. I urge you read those two books: Secret Empires by Peter Schweizer and uh, Mafia Democracy by Michael Franzese. And uh, I'm rapidly running out of time here, so I'm going to have to wrap it up. Luckily, I got through everything that I wanted to, uh, but we're running out of time here. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is the first show. Let me know what you think. Let me know how you think I did. I promise we'll continue to improve. Uh, we're going to have a great show going forward, and uh, I will see you next week. As always, stay loud and America out loud. <laughs>